It's time once again for another thrilling episode of Mark Out Radio. Of Mark Out Radio. For the next hour, sit back, pull the stick out of your ass, and enjoy. Be warned, though, smarks and internet know-it-alls will be offended, annoyed, and generally pissed off at what's about to happen to your ear holes. You've been warned. Now, Mark Out Radio. That's right. Boy Dark Fox back again. Last Nitro of 1995. That's always cool. End the year on a bit of a high note, right? That's the idea, isn't it? End the year on a high note, your first year of doing live television. Let's end that shit on a high note, right? Right? That is the way it works in wrestling. It's supposed to be how it works. Let's see if let's see if it all pans out. December 25th, 1995. That's right. Nitro went live on Christmas Day. Did Raw go live on Christmas Day? No. Why? Because even Vince isn't that big of an ass clown. Jesus. No Raw this week, so no ratings to compare. Uh, Even so, Nitro pulls a, uh, uh, let's call it a respectable, because now now this is sort of more commonplace. A respectable 2.5 in the ratings. Um, We don't know how many people were there. Uh, The seating capacity was 8,100. That's from last week's Nitro. We did not move venues because if you're going to have <laughs> if you're going to have two events and one of them is going to be on Christmas Day, then why not try to keep things as little disruption as humanly possible? Um, the Civic Center didn't get used at all during that week's Nitro, so they didn't actually have to tear down the set between shows. They just added some Christmas decorations and, of course, uh, Mongo's stupid dogs wearing a Santa outfit. Hosted this week, of course, by Eric Bischoff, Bobby the Brain Heenan, Steve Mongo McMichael. Uh, you know, on the, on the, on the, dealing with Mongo here, just for a second here, ladies. If your husband perpetually dressed up your dog and printed around on national television, would that be a pro or a con when contemplating leaving him for a beer-swilling redneck? You know? Know what I'm talking? My producer doesn't know what I'm talking about. He's giving me the bewildered look. Um, Mongo's wife married Stone Cold Steve Austin. Yeah, no, seriously, briefly, but seriously. All right. The Hogan cosplayer is back in the crowd on the hard cam this week, so hopefully he brings some entertainment value to an otherwise very mediocre go home Nitro, which is which is actually kind of sucks because last week was actually a pretty decent Nitro, and had that been the go home, I don't think anyone would really have been that pissed off about it, but. Here we go. So last week, Luger took on Bagwell. This week, he's going to take on Riggs. So Lex Luger with Jimmy Hart in his corner defeats Scotty Riggs in 6 minutes, 23. Gave it 1.5 out of 5. Um, I mean, let's be honest. The males are, are getting the Hollywood blondes treatment here. What do you... Stop. I swear to Christ. It, there's been three of them now. I've had to... Stop. Turn it down. Seriously, there's been three times I've done this. Bit that you're playing and YouTube has cracked down on the fucking channel. So no, listen, because the first video hasn't come back up yet. I, it's, it's still demonetized. Stop it. Thank you. Jesus. Anyways. So apparently the males, which it was designed for the males to go over, of course, but apparently the males were getting a little too hot and uh, they decided to start giving them the Hollywood blondes treatment. Um, conspicuous by his absence, of course, is Marcus Alexander Bagwell, who wasn't at ringside the way Scotty Riggs was for him last week. 
Bischoff builds up this whole we're questioning things motives gimmick. And then when Mongo and Brain actually do question things motives, he tells them that they're reaching. I mean, it must have been it must have been a nightmare working with somebody who keeps forgetting that his role on the announce team is to be the straight guy, not to fucking constantly throw curveballs. And listen, Mongo's new to this and Bobby's getting older. Uh, neither of these guys are going to roll with it that fucking fast. Uh, you, you can't shift gears on them this quickly and expect them to recover. But even so, during this match, Brain covers for Luger no-selling Riggs offensive while someone dressed up as the Cheerios bee in the crowd no-sells Riggs missing a spot on the rail. Ultimately, the match ends with a torture rack, which ended before the ref even got to the guy. The bell just starts fucking ringing. After that, we've got a Sting Gene promo on the ramp, firework botch at the beginning of the promo, and then we're back onto the Sue Luger Sting friendship angle. They've been pushing this hard for weeks now, and it's not really going over with the live crowds. And then they promote Scar Starcade as in like an afterthought. Now the entire pay-per-view is a gimmick of USA versus Japan, with the co-main event, I guess, being the triangle match, and then whoever wins that goes on to challenge for the title. But that being said, why is everything other than the gimmick of the fucking pay-per-view being discussed? I, the, all night long, they don't discuss much in the way of USA versus Japan. And they do discuss the triangle match at nauseum, of course. And they do discuss and bury Macho Man's ability to hold on to the title. So there is that. But there's not a whole lot of things going on here to promote the actual pay-per-view and yet i'm watching the whole thing thinking you know maybe i'm just being cynical maybe in my old age i'm becoming a cynical asshole well maybe i am a cynical asshole but that being said am i reaching am i really reaching here there was one starcade promo all night long it was that land of the rising sun one that starts off black and white for japan by the way is there more a subtle way of being racist than making the japanese gong thing black and white even though that's a buddhist thing not a japanese thing jesus christ all right after that sting defeats big bubba in 515 i gave it two out of five bubba pulls off a sloppy yet somehow impressive insecurity that sting does sell which is impressive for a guy of bubba's size the announced team reveals that hogan is currently under suspension now to be fair here this was announced on saturday night but bischoff wanted Nitro to be the place where all the big things happen and all the big stuff is announced. So they didn't talk about this at the start of the show. They didn't talk about this at any point during the first match or the promos or anything leading up to here. In the second match, this is where we're finding out that Hogan has been suspended. We don't know how long if you don't watch Saturday night. If you're just a Nitro and pay-per-view watcher, which was the whole point, let me remind you, of Nitro then you wouldn't know how long Hogan's suspension was. By the way, it's two weeks, just so you know. It's actually not two weeks. It's a little less than two weeks because he'll be back on the January 1st episode of Nitro. And obviously he wasn't suspended the night of last week's Nitro. He would have been suspended when the quote-unquote championship committee could have gotten together the very next day, one would assume. So his suspension is actually 13 days. For those of you keeping score at home. Now, I don't think I've ever seen a inside cradle off the top rope, but Sting and Bubba do pull it off, sort of. The second leg wasn't actually grapevine, but it was actually kind of interesting. The problem here is that because it was such a botchy thing, I don't think that it should have been watched again in slow-mo. 
Um, I think that that probably did it a disservice because then you could actually see just how sloppy it really was. Afterwards, Gene, Luger, and Hart promo on the ramp. Luger's the uncrowned champ, according to him and Hart. Sting's his buddy. And then Sergeant Craig Pitbull Pittman comes out to get Hart to manage him. Now, Hart responds by body shaming Pittman. Oh, man, the 90s were... The 90s were really a different time. Dean Malenko defeats Mr. JL. That's Jerry Lynn for those of you who are... um, I guess you don't even really need to be in the know since they've let it slip a couple times uh, on other shows that are pre-taped. But they've never let it slip on the live Nitro, so there you go. Uh, Match was 3 minutes, 43 seconds. I gave it 2 out of 5. Malenko comes out wearing his son's vest again. JL's elbow and wrist are tied up, the right one. And there's uh, quite a lot of flippy-dippy bullshit with no actual contact happening at the beginning of the match. So it was a lot of weird cartwheels and kip-ups and shenanigans. Like they, I know it's the stuff that gets over nowadays, but I, I don't know, man. I, I, I like to see a little contact with the flippy-dippy bullshit, you know? Like, uh, you know, Ricochet does a lot of flippy-dippy bullshit, but there's every, every now and then there's like an elbow in there. So it breaks up the monotony of a gymnastics match going on in the ring. Bischoff calls a gut buster off the top rope a side breaker, but, you know, it is Bischoff. Malenko's finisher puts his shoulders on the mat, and JL no-sells it because not even in kayfabe does it manage to actually damage his knee. Gene and Flair on the ramp promo. Hart interrupts to promote the uh, pr- interrupts the promo to apologize on behalf of Sullivan and wants to manage Flair for his match as a form of repayment for saving his life. Yeah, this isn't this isn't all right. That, that's not going to go sideways at all, is it? All right. Um, Savage defeats Ric Flair with Jimmy Hart in his corner via disqualification to retain the WCW World Heavyweight Championship in 14 minutes, 25 seconds. I gave it two and a half, two and a half out of five. It lost an entire point because they still have yet to give Savage an actual one, two, three victory since winning the belt at World War Three. Don't worry, though. No spoilers. One will eventually happen before he drops the strap. Jesus. All right, so there's lots of good back and forth here. And listen, back in 92 when Flair and Savage had their Miss Elizabeth program, I know that's not what it's actually called. It was for the title, but I still call it the Miss Elizabeth program because it was awkward as fuck. Now, Rick was fine with working how Savage likes to work, pacing out the entire fucking match backstage. But now they're in Flair's company, and there's far more improv going on than Savage is typically used to. He still did an excellent job of working within it, but it it wasn't a lot of people that watch Savage matches will see the usual Savage spots and him making room for other people's spots, but it was there's a there's quite a few botches for a, a Savage match. Savage matches aren't really prone to this many botched moves. And and to be fair, neither are flare matches. Now, um there's another sloppy inside cradle pin. Um uh, it's such an elementary move that it really sticks out when there's a botch of an inside cradle. And we get our first arcade promo of the night. On the Go Home episode of Nitro, this is the first time in the main event that we are actually promoting the pay-per-view that is going to be on the air in two, count them, two days. Anyway, Flair, uh, Flair gets off before Macho even got to his feet, then presented himself like he was in a Greek spa for the kickback into the ball spot. Um... I, it, there's a lot of botchy, sloppy shit, really. Bischoff quips that they're going late, and he doesn't care. Well, Nitro always runs late now, but even if they didn't, who's programming against Nitro on fucking Christmas Day? 
Now, there's finally a good inside cradle at this point. And of course, Savage can't have a legit match. And you couldn't possibly have thought that Hart's involvement was going to lead to a legit match. Or in fact, even a Luger free match. So of course, Luger comes racing down to ringside. Savage throttles him. uh, Not before the bell rings, by the way, for a DQ. Savage then starts strangling Luger. That's where the DQ bell comes in, which means Sting has to come out. But because, of course, there's no love lost between Sting and Flair, Flair starts chopping away at Sting in the corner. Eventually, this whole schmoz leaves Sting and Savage in the middle of the ring who start pie-facing and slapping each other in the face until the show goes off the air. So, I mean, as far as endings go, it was a decent ending to build to the pay-per-view. I just thought it was a little bit odd that really one match tonight was selling the pay-per-view in two days. I guess, I guess their rationale was if you didn't decide last week, then you're probably not watching this week and nothing we do is going to convince you to get the pay-per-view anyways. Now a little bit of WCW history. So Gene Okerlund's little one, 900 line, uh, which he employed Mike Tanay and, uh, Mark Madden to come. Is it Mark? Yeah. Mark Madden to come and work on, um, to, to give these quote-unquote news bites and things. Um, got into a little bit of trouble. Um, on, on December 24th, 1995, Gene Oakland reported through the WCW hotline that Ricky the Dragon Steamboat's retirement ceremony would be held as part of the January 1st, 1996 Nitro at the Omni in Atlanta. The story is reportedly fabricated by Oakland, and the following week he was forced by lawyers to admit that the ceremony would not actually take place and that Steamboat was in no way associated with WCW. Um, yeah, I thought it was a little bit odd. I guess reading some of the backstory, Steamboat was very much spending time at home with his family. And I guess he was... I guess, it, <laughs> as is often the case, um, he spent so much time on the road that wifey was not having this thing. And that was the first that she'd heard of it because his son apparently found out about this through some of his buddies and told his mom, which, you know, kids would do. And apparently she kicked him out of the house for three days. And it was only when Oakland released like an actual news statement saying that he had, uh, that he had fabricated the entire thing. Now, of course this wasn't supposed to affect the one in hundred line going forward. This was just one of those things. And listen, Oakland would routinely get in shit for fabricating things like this. And to be fair, as much shit as Oakland and other fucking people in the industry give podcasts and dirt sheets and uh, Reddit users and people on Twitter and stuff like that. The fact of the matter is that nobody, nobody, and I fucking can't emphasize that enough. Nobody is as much a cancer to the wrestling industry as the fucking wrestling industry. All right. No one could possibly put you guys through what you guys put yourselves through. It's, I mean, listen, it's a little fucking embarrassing. All right. It is. Let's be honest. As much shitting as wrestlers make like example for, uh, when, uh, when Dave got in trouble for, uh, for calling a couple of the lady wrestlers attention to their growing muffin tops. And then he got publicly shamed by pretty much every wrestler. Um, listen, Earlier on tonight, earlier on tonight, Jimmy Hart, one of the most celebrated managers in wrestling history, legitimately body shamed a black former Marine on live television for not having the body that Lex Luger has. So seriously, 
wrestlers and wrestling promoters and people involved with wrestling who routinely shoot on all the dirt sheets and the fans and all that kind of stuff with respect fuck yourselves you're the worst you are by far the worst all right now let's just <laughs> let's just leave the heat of that in the past now let's get on to starcade 95 uh overall i gave the pay-per-view a four out of five i thought it was really well done it didn't pull the nose up on the year uh we'll cover what i gave the overall <laughs> the overall year in wcw wrestling later but it was good now listen Starcade nowadays is treated like a bit of a joke. It gets the Clash of Champions use, and when it does, it ends up on the network. It never really gets promoted much, and when it does, it's sort of an afterthought. But the thing is that Starcade 83 is legitimately the first nationally televised wrestling pay-per-view that was done via closed-circuit television. It had 30,000 viewers. It drew a live audience of 15,447 people with a $500,000 gate to see the NWA champ Harley Race defend the belt in a cage against Ric Flair. Starcade 95, though, was faring a little worse on live television. It drew 8,200 fans. Only 6,018 of them actually paid for an $83,855 gate. It did, though, get a pay-per-view buy rate of 95000 Now, listen, that's 95,000 households. That doesn't count how many people any one of those households was watching it. And at the time, pay-per-views were about 50 bucks a piece. So let's do a little bit of monkey math here. 95,000 viewers. Let's, let's be nice. Let's call it the 49.95. That's still a $4.7 million. Even if they gave away a couple fucking free views, that's still a pretty decent chunk of change in the day and age that we're in. Now, obviously, that number doesn't take into account like all the different other things going on because at the time, there were an awful lot of bars that would get the pay-per-views and they would use that as their gimmick that night to make some money on some beer and wing sales. I say that as someone who took advantage of that, all right? Overall, the gimmick for the AE pay-per-view was a decent idea. It was odd to have a huge international faces getting heat because they're from Japan and WCW heels getting pops, but it made for some entertaining ass wrestling, even if there was one hell of a lot of racism, both subtle and direct. All right. Uh, having Heenan as the Japanese sellout and Dusty Rhodes as the face commentator was fucking great. Shivani did a very good job, I thought, of being the straight guy. Um, Bischoff liked to, in the background, play up a lot of the personal issues between wrestlers. And, um, he his thought his theory on this was that legit heat translated into heat on camera now wrestlers are arguably not statistically very good actors so i can see where his theory comes from and it comes from a reasonably rational place except for the problem that this is still simulated fighting and 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 simulated fighting often will result in actual punches being thrown or actual fights happening or people coming down pretending to actually be angry and legitimately being angry all right now such was the case with Benoit's excuse me Benoit Sullivan so the first match of the pay-per-view had uh, Benoit versus a Japanese wrestler I'm sorry I didn't write down his name and I'm not gonna go back and look for it at this point because the story is not about them um Sullivan comes down to the ring being held back by Jimmy Hart. I don't know how much of that was a work. I don't know how much of that was a shoot. However, Kevin and Nancy Sullivan was Sullivan were legally separated at the time, but she was still very much part of the production team. She and Chris apparently took liking to one another. As soon as he started at the company, 
and they would start they started to date and they were both according to them and other sources very cautious about showing affection in public not just because of kevin sullivan but also because it just looked bad it wasn't a very good bro thing to do to steal your to steal another wrestler's wife all right even though it happens so often it's laughable now sullivan was convinced that they were going to get back together And he and Benoit got into a fair number of shouting and shoving matches backstage. The hatred between the men was so well known that when the Benoit murder-suicide theory started flying around, a a big chunk of them were about it being Sullivan. And I'm saying allegedly out there because it's a fucking still touchy subject for pretty much everybody. But the heat between them was such that his name was being thrown around a lot of those theories that were going around about what, quote unquote, actually happened versus what the police report found out. Now, that being said, it made for a pretty awkward first match. It it did. I mean, if you watch it, you can see how awkward it was. It was fucked up and awkward. Uh, There's no reason for Sullivan to be out there. Um, I know that the announce team, to their credit at least, tried to play it up as though this was a direct result of Pillman running his mouth about the dungeon the previous week. But I, what the fuck does Pillman running his mouth have to do with Benoit other than the fact that they're on the same, I guess, stable? I, I hate calling the horseman a stable because it makes it seem like they're actually horses. All right, so Savage gets his first legit victory since World War Three and winning the title against the New Japan Pro Wrestling wrestler. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, Sting wins the tie-breaking match, gets a decent pop. Mamacho Man comes out and hugs him. The roof blows off the joint. Again, like for the mediocre build that the gimmick part of the pay-per-view got, it received a hell of a reaction. Perhaps it was down to it being very much USA heavy and figuring that, you know, it's in Tennessee. They're not going to really have to push the USA aspect of this to get them to cheer for WCW wrestlers versus New Japan wrestlers, even though three out of the seven wrestlers for that were representing WCW were actually not even American. Uh, Benoit's Canadian. Uh, Alex Wright is German and Eddie Guerrero is supposedly Mexican. Well, at least in kayfabe, he's Mexican. All right. For a year of ups and downs, ending with Flair winning the title for the 12th time, thanks to a horseman running, was an interesting way to end out the pay-per-view. Uh, for, of course, Flair got, had to get the crimson mask, which of course means that his hair all turns red too. Uh, I, I I don't know. I liked it. I liked the fact that the, that the announce team went out of their fucking minds the fans loved it. it. It was a good way to end off the pay-per-view. And it actually ended off the pay-per-view on a positive note. Um, <clears throat> before we delve into the quote-unquote year in review, let's talk a little bit about attendance versus paid versus ratings. So being a f- fucking math nerd, I'm, I was keeping sort of a spreadsheet of the amount of attendance we've got versus the attendance paid for the times when we can actually see it for the ratings that I gave and for the actual television ratings that they got. So 95 now granted this is 95 from the 4th of September forward. So it's only three months of 95 next year, like for the 96 shows, we'll get a little more of an idea of what we're actually dealing with. Uh, but you know, for 95 from September through the end of December, the average Nitro rating was 2.4. The average raw rating was 
So when the pay-per-view goes off the air with Tony Schiavone saying that they are the biggest wrestling company in the world, as far as ratings go, they were winning overall. This is still the time when it was back and forth, but whatever. It is what it is. Overall attendance, and I'm including pay-per-view ones in this and Nitro, so it's going to inflate the numbers just a little bit. But considering Nitro was designed to build for pay-per-views, I thought it was fair that we uh, that we allow them to include their three pay-per-view, four pay-per-view attendance numbers. Um, let's be honest, Halloween Havoc and World War III were the only ones that were really going to drag the fucking stats up on it. So attendance was an average of 5,790 people watching WCW shows, Nitro and pay-per-view shows, that is, with an average of 2,826 of them actually paying to do so. Average markout rating for the shows and pay-per-views is two. Just two. And and to be fair, there were a couple times in there where the rating jumped up to like a three or a three and a half, or even the pay-per-view being a four. But for the most for the most part, all year long were twos and one point fives. So it's fair. All right. Don't argue. Don't be a big baby. It's fair. You go back and watch it and you can see what I'm talking about. So next year, we're going to start off on January 1st at the Omni in Atlanta. So we're still staying close to CNN headquarters. Um, I Next year is going to be kind of rough because we don't always have, we almost always have attendance numbers, but we are missing just a fucking chunk and a half of actual people that have paid to see it. So some of this is going to end up being a little bit of a big ass question mark. Um, when there's no nitros, of course, we'll talk about it and we'll talk about what the raw ratings were that week as a result of there only being one wrestling show on TV. And we also start getting some ratings in the threes and fours. So that's always good I, for wrestling in, in general. One of the things that I want everyone to keep in mind is, you know, we're, we're, we're looking at WWE quote unquote going to war with AEW when really it's NXT that's AEW-esque. And we talk a lot about the numbers and everything like that, but they all have to be taken with a big-ass grain of salt because numbers, depending how you use them, can kind of be bullshit. All right, so let's talk about the WCW year in review for 95. Uh, There was a Slim Jim Challenge. That's right, which was won on the 27th of May by Mr. Paul, Mr. Wonderful Orndorff. The WCW US Championship Tournament which Sting won on the 18th of June and then gave it up when he was visiting over in the land of the rising sun. And of course, World War III tournament, which Randy Savage won on the 26th of November. Inducted into the 95 WCW Hall of Fame, which was not a big televised event. Um, I believe they just talked about it sometimes on Worldwide and Saturday night. WCW Hall of Fame inductees this year, Wahoo, Chief Wahoo McDaniel, Dusty Rhodes, Antonio Inoki, Angelo Poffo, by the way, Randy Savage's dad, for those of you not knowing, Terry Funk, only his third retirement, but whatever, what do I know, uh, was inducted to the Hall of Fame. Big John Studd passed away in 95, and he was inducted into the Hall of Fame. Gordon Soley retired in 1995, was inducted into the WCW Hall of Fame. Uh, PWI... WCW accolades, Pro Wrestling Insider, or Illustrated, depending on who you ask, because apparently it was interchangeable. Pro Wrestling Illustrated is one that floats along. I think that one's the most common because that's when they actually call themselves. 
but of course it gets called lots of things by different rags. Tag team of the year, Harlem Heat, Booker T and Stevie Ray. WPWI comeback of the year, Randy Savage. Most improved wrestler of the year, DDP. And rookie of the year, Alex Wright. Yes, that's right. Our favorite little twink. Now, notable retirements this year. Kevin Varn Eric. Obvious reasons. I'm not going to go over them here. You can watch the dark side of the ring like I did and be thoroughly fucking traumatized by it. Baron Ron Von Raschke. Uh, also, not going to go into that for obvious reasons. Davey, Dan Spivey, Lord Alfred Hayes, Lou Albano, El Supremo, Giant Gonzalez. Well, can you really call that a notable retirement? Wasn't he a wrestler for like, what, two years? And Archie, the stopper, Goldie, who, um, well, he was famous for a lot of different things, but mostly doing the stomp that Randy Orton does on people's fingers and hands and elbows and all that other fucking shenanigans. So that's it. WCW 1995. The Nitros. Sort of recovering the the pay-per-views in a roundabout kind of way. But of course, I wanted to cover the last one of the year a little more in-depth. Not totally the way I do the Nitros, but you know what it is. All right, so that's it for us for 1995. Next week, we're going to start 1996. Shows are still an hour and change, so we'll probably continue to do the double features until we transition into the two-hour time period and we need a little more time to deal with them. But we'll see. We'll play that by ear. Don't worry. It'll become very fucking obvious two seconds after you tune into a show. All right. So don't forget, share this with your uh, other wrestling fans, especially those that liked WCW or uh, were fascinated by WCW back in the day and want a little deep dive into what 90s was like for wrestling uh, with your boy Dark Fox here. All right. Well, we'll see you in 96 next week. I'm out. Well, that was an abortion of a show. Should the mood take you, check out markoutradio.com and leave a comment. You can also find links there to our Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Stitcher channels. You can even leave a voicemail on our Skype. Just click the links and share them. Stop it. Turn that... Mother... I swear to God, I'm gonna kill you. No, seriously, just cut the feed. Cut it. Like... No, no, seriously. Cut the feed. Bastard, cut it! Yes, now!